Hey, this is Sean Leary, and welcome back to another exciting and invigorating and intelligent and incredibly compelling episode of QC Uncut. We are the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities, and we're happy that you are tuning in. Hope you enjoy. It's uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with me, your host, Sean Leary, and guests of local interest. And that's right. You heard it. Unedited, uncut. I press record. We sit down. We talk. So you hear all of the context, all the screw-ups, all the arguments, all the discussions. And that's what makes it so interesting. Today's guest is Andrew Arnold. Andrew is kind of a bon vivant man about town. He has done a number of different things, and he's he's an intriguing individual, and he's a friend of mine. Um, he ran for alderman at large in Davenport uh, last year. Uh, he's also... And uh, third ward alderman as well. That's right. And also, um, he is... What is your official title with QC Solar? Uh, I'm the CEO and president. Okay. Um, you're also on the board of the QC Pride Festival? Uh, yes, I'm on the board of uh, QC Pride. Inc. Uh, and uh, we're also working with the, the the parade. We're pretty much the same. The same people that are on the board are working on the parade as well. We we have a couple uh, extra folks, which is good. I'm also a board member at Midcoast Fine Arts, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I've got a few things in the pipe. I'm also working on as well. But yeah, for the most part, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Cool, cool. And you also have kind of an interesting history. You once had a run-in with Mitch McConnell, <laughs> uh, which we'll go over, and um, have also had some interesting things happen in your life. Um, you're born and raised in the Quad cities, came uh, left for what? You weren't born in the race of Quad cities? I was raised in the Quad Cities. I was born in Ohio. Okay. My mom is actually from the area. Uh, we can trace our roots back to this area when the Germans immigrated uh, immigrated here over 200 years ago. Uh, we actually have Native uh, Americans. We have uh, Sioux Fox in our family that actually kind of lived in the in the area, mostly Muscatine and the Quad Cities. Uh, but no, I was born in Ohio. Uh, what part of Ohio? Uh, near Dayton. Uh, there's this place called St. Mary's, Ohio. Very tiny, tiny little town. Uh, my mom and dad actually uh, met here and then moved to Ohio where my dad opened a practice and then after they split uh, we moved back here and so I moved back here in 84 I believe and I lived in Bettendorf until my eighth grade year lived with my dad for about a year my freshman year then moved back here and graduated from Davenport West in 1995 and then uh, joined the Air Force as soon as I possibly could So what was that like? What was it like being a part of the Air Force? Did you stay out your um, entire tour of duty? Did you go overseas at all? I mean, obviously, you're talking late 90s, so this is before everything. You caught it at right the, t- the time between the two Gulf Wars. Yeah. So so, so what happened was is, uh, I joined the Air Force in 1997, um, and uh, I did basic training like you know everyone does, and then I had the chance to either stay in the States, although I was supposed to go to Alaska, and uh, as a uh, as a construction, uh, a CB, construction battalion, learned from the best in the Navy, uh, but uh, a friend of mine's like, oh, I want to go to Alaska because I want to go hunt bears, and I'm like, yeah, you go ahead and hunt bears, uh, I'll, I'll take your spot, and that was Guam, so I got to go to Guam, and uh, I actually arrived in Guam right after Super Typhoon Paca, the largest typhoon ever recorded at that time, uh, hit this tiny island of Guam. So I was stationed there for uh, 18 months, and then I spent the rest of my time in uh, Ramstein Air Force Base, Germany, and traveled all throughout Europe. Uh, Made famous by the metal band. Yes, uh, I got to see them. They were uh, they were pretty they were pretty awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, while I was in the Air Force, uh, I did some uh, some 
you know, DJ work when I was over there. Um, loved it, absolutely loved it. Did you play Rammstein in Rammstein? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got old real fast, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then uh, I got, I was going to actually spend the rest of my life in Germany because when I was living there, I saw that uh, they had a wonderful life. You know, like the, 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 the nationals or the people that actually lived there but worked on the base, they had two hour lunches and they had, you know, vacations where they're off on a vacation, you know, four to five times a year. And they were getting paid a really, you know, really good amount once I started researching more more uh, about the nationals. Uh, or why am I calling them nationals? The Germans that were there um, in Germany. Uh, and I decided I'm, I'm going to do this. And I had friends who were like, oh, yeah, they pay 30% they, they pay in taxes. And, you know, how do you feel about paying that much in taxes? I'm like, yeah, well, they also got, you know, free health care. And I'll be going to university for free. So, you know what? I'm, I'm good with all of that. And it looks like their roads are taken care of and everything's fine. But I, uh, I screwed up and uh, fell in love. Uh, <laughs> as it, that always screws me up, yeah. too, Andrew. That's uh, <laughs> it's been the Achilles heel in most of my plans. As, as, as a young man, uh, as a young person, usually does is the downfall when you're young and in love and move back to the states and I actually was I moved back here one week before September 11th So I come back, and uh, the girl that I was in love with dumps me immediately. Uh, so I threw away this great life in Germany, and I moved back to the Quad Cities, and I uh, got this job uh, in construction. And uh, I'm on my way to my first job at the job site, and it comes over the radio. And I called my boss, and I said, I have to go home and stand by the phone for the next, you know, for, for further instructions. Because even though I was out of the Air Force, there is the, there is a, there's a a loophole that says that um, I will be called back into action if there is an act of war placed on uh, uh, the United States. And this is the first time, you know, U.S. soil had been uh, invaded. Well, not invaded, but I mean, had been attacked. Right. So... By, by someone outside of, yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not including Oklahoma City, Andrew, yeah, yeah. Well, or, you yeah. know, which happened a few years earlier, but yeah, dom- yeah, domestic, yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a whole different thing that we could talk about for hours on end. Um, I'm probably just pulling all this out. I'm sorry, it's that's <laughs> okay. We're kind of going chronology, you know, yeah, chronologically. Yeah. yeah, just just get it out there. Um, then uh, waited by the phone, and of course, you know, uh, tons of people, you know, signed up and said we're going to go ahead and fight. And I said, all right, go ahead, have at it. Um, reconciled with the uh, girl that I got out of the Air Force with and moved to Kentucky and uh, eventually married her. Uh, And then we got divorced shortly thereafter. (laughs) But while I was down there, I got my education at Moorhead State University. And that's when I kind of found my love of uh, politics. I've always been kind of duty-bound. I was a a Boy Scout. Uh, I liked being around people. I got to see the good things about people. I got to see how a community can actually come together and do good things. But I always heard from my folks and the adults around me, you know, that ah, the government's no good and it's it's absolutely horrible. It does nothing but take from you, and it's all they want is you know your tax money, and it always goes to horrible programs and people that aren't doing anything and shiftless layabouts and all the negative stuff, but never any of the positive things. Other than, well, we've got great troops. You know, uh, I always support our cops, um, and we've got the best teachers. You know, America is absolutely great, but, you know, I don't want to put any money into it, and I don't support my government, which it just seemed uh, counterproductive and just didn't make any sense to me growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was still very patriotic. 
still had the sense of duty, as it were. So I go to Morehead State University. I get my education in uh, government and philosophy with a minor in sociology. And then uh, I met my... Um, Remet my <laughs> my current wife. Uh, we both went to Davenport West together, and through the magic of Facebook, uh, got back together. Uh, now, how, how did you meet? How did that come about? I'm always intrigued by this because school or Facebook? No, I, I have like you know such a a, a long uh, history of failed relationships behind me, and so I'm always. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I, I've never I've never been able to you know as of now as of the recording of this I'm not you know I'm single and have not been able to make anything work, and so it's always been interesting to me to hear people's stories in regard to um, how they do make it work you know how do how do you rekindle that connection how do you get that connection and how do you you know keep it strong so we're totally veering off of whatever conversation <laughs> we're going to have but nevertheless hopefully this is interesting and, and other people out there who are in the same position will find your wisdom to be beneficial Andrew <laughs> not, not even close uh, anybody who knows me personally knows that uh, uh, I'm long-winded and I go off on tangents all the time uh, and I always apologize for that but the conversations I have with folks are always very uh real and uh, i just realized i actually i haven't cussed once is cussing all right because i normally cussing is fine it's it, people right yeah you know, i'm the host of this podcast andrew i think you've been around me enough to know that the cussing is going to occur so yeah. well I, I worked in radio for 10 years and so whenever there's a microphone in my face uh my my octave drops uh, uh one uh, one note and uh, automatically i start thinking of other words i should be right. using like shucks and 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 the and and, and the such but normally uh, the I know exactly what you mean, Andrew. This is uh, the radio voice. So you go in and you have... This is when I was on WOC. It's WOC in the morning, 720. Thanks for tuning in. This is Sean Leary on your morning show. Yeah, you're listening to 97X. <laughs> on the Brody Man coming at you at the midnight hour, we got Boston coming up. No, yeah, I know exactly what that's all about. So, uh, yeah, normally when I'm talking to folks, I don't have a microphone in my face. I normally have a beer in front of me. I'm sweating profusely. And I've said shit at least three times. Okay. So... Um, um, which That's next podcast, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, next yeah. time you come on the podcast, so we'll do it at Radical, and you know that'll be a real shit show. So yeah, I, I hope so because those are usually the best ones. Yeah. Actually, we're we're here at beautiful, cool, uh, cool beans uh, yeah. on the hilltop, uh, which is very uh, loud and wonderful. Actually, I prefer having conversations in in local small businesses like this. Uh, I've I've been a champion of small businesses forever. Um, uh, if you want to know though, as far as a love connection thing was uh, I, I it, this this is naive but I said you know I always wanted to marry two people in my life and I was lucky enough to marry both. <laughs> did, you, did you move to Utah to do that Andrew? no no no, no. never at the same time obviously oh, okay. um, no I was lucky enough to marry the, didn't realize you were a Mormon Andrew. no 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 not 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 at all not a very uh, religious person although I believe that religion is actually quite important I just think when it comes to the extreme side of it but that is a completely different podcast right, as right. well. Um, but for the most part, it comes down to having shared relationships. You know, uh, my 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 uh, my second wife uh, and I, we were both kids when we met, and uh, we come from the area, and we have a lot of the same likes and dislikes, and we both left the area <laughs> as soon as we possibly could. Um, but then we came back because we, you know, we have friends and we have family members here, and and uh, well, actually, we're living in Chicago together for years and we just realized that we actually spent most of our 
free time back here than we were actually in Chicago for the most part. Um, plus, we missed our family and friends when we came back here. I think I think our relationship works is because um, I'm a very social, outgoing person, but I'm also an extreme quiet homebody. So when I'm home, the pants are off, the TV's on, and uh, there's a lot of uh, 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 there's a lot of um, uh, uh, Blankets and snuggling and TV watching and, and book reading for the most part. Um, but you know, my wife, she's she's brilliant. She's got a man. She's a great conversationalist. Uh, but you know, she doesn't like to go out as much as I do. I kind of push myself as well, and I think that's why it works kind of well for the most part. You know, when we actually go out together, um, people are just like, "Wow, she's wonderful. What is she doing with you?" And I'm like, "That's exactly what I want in a relationship." Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd like somebody who's wonderful. That's uh, that'd be at the top of the list, Andrew. Usually, yeah. you know, and patient. That's the other and thing. Pa- too. Yeah, right. Patience is very important. Um, but I mean, I've always been a, I've always been drawn to smart, um, sophisticated, cultured, uh, strong-willed women for the most part. I mean, that's that's my mom was. My mom was a, a single mom, and she was uh, the craziest, strongest woman I know, raising two kids in the 80s. You know, which was difficult after. I mean, you know, the culture shift of the 1960s and 70s, and and being a single mom was just nuts. I, I told. I'm the same way. It's like I, my I'm a single mom. My dad moved to New York. I only saw my dad in the summers, and we had four kids in the family. I was the oldest of four kids, and so I think I've always like I've never had that line of demarcation of like this is what a woman can do and this is what a man can do because to me it's like people are people. Yeah. And I've always been drawn to very strong women. I've always liked very women with very strong personalities who are really smart and opinionated yeah. and I think you're right I mean I think that being raised in that way as opposed to a traditional patriarchal family structure I think kind of lends your, lends yourself to that, yeah. you know. And my mom always said, you know, well, you know, I always hear this when she talked to her friends or my grandmother, and it's like, well, our, you know, Oliver and Andy, that's my brother's name's Oliver. Um, you know, they need a they need a they need a man in their lives. They need a strong man in their lives. And I would always, even as a small kid, I'm just like, no, I'm fine. You know, I've got I've got TV. I've got video games and I've got you. Um, I think that's pretty much about it. You know, I mean, she did the best she she could. You know, she always says, you know, I did the best I could. Um, I put food in your belly and a roof over your head, and I thought that was enough for the most part. And I go, yeah, you did all of that, and it's amazing the sacrifices that you that you made for us. I didn't get to see her very often, you know, because she was working. Um, but uh, I always I always looked forward. To seeing her, and when I became of age and was interested in girls, that was the first thing that drew me to uh, to somebody was, you know, are, are they smart? Can they carry on a conversation? You know, is it more than just looks? Is it more than just just a, a vapid nothingness there? You know, uh, so and 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 somebody that can actually, you know, that was well read. You know, my first wife. You know, she was a, she was an educator. She was a teacher, um, and uh, we had wonderful conversations uh, all the time. And she was just as outgoing as I was, which was great. Uh, it just didn't you know work out for the most part. But this one, I think, is is good because we both have patience. We both actually came from the same place. We understand you know how tough life can be, you know, and that we're all trying to do our best, and that. And I think what really what really speaks to me is the fact that she can she she says um, people are hard on other people for no reason whatsoever, and I see that a lot. Uh, you know, uh, when I came when I left the area, 
years ago uh, in the 90s, you know, it was always, well, you don't want to do this. You know, you don't don't go downtown because you can't find parking and the buildings are falling apart. Don't go to this part of town because there are, man, it's really getting loud in here now, isn't it? Uh, because there's a certain type of person, you know, that lives down there. Uh, don't hang out with these people because they, uh, you know, they're, they're white trash or whatever. And I was always like, well, let me make that judgment for myself, you know. So I was lucky enough to, you know, drive around with my windows down in the bad neighborhood and my my, my doors unlocked. Um, and then when we came back, we kind of saw the same thing. But it, it wasn't it wasn't about you know it wasn't about race. And, uh, it was uh, it was more on the lines of uh, economic issues. You know, um, I don't know why you don't want to talk why, why you're hanging out with those people. You know, they don't have a regular nine to five job. And then I realized, you know, it's kind of a it's an it's an older kind of thing, you know. People over the age of fifty have been kind of been doing that. You know, I I, I had a conversation the other day with a with a, a family friend of mine, sixty five years old. She's absolutely wonderful. I'm not going to name her name. I'm going to put her on the spot, but we're having this conversation, and she's like, "Well, you're always downtown. You're always doing things downtown. You know, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, how can you how can you uh, you know be downtown and park downtown?" I go, "Well, first off, uh, everything that's in downtown Davenport, Davenport, um, you can walk to. It's like two three blocks. You know, if you can't park." <laughs> you know, three blocks away and walk to your destination, then you, you uh, there's something else going on there for the most part. Dude, do you ever spend time in Chicago? Man, nobody drives. I mean, honestly, I mean, well, having grown up around Chicago and having grown up in the city, I mean, I'm a city boy, and so I'm used to, like, parking and walking. Cause that's what everybody does in the city. Yeah, uh, that was actually one, that's one of the things that I've, I've, I've been wanting to push since I've been back, actually, um, is uh, better you know public transportation. That's the, thing, that's the other thing, too. Like, okay, so, so when I got back, I thought to myself, I'm going to try and do something politically. I'm going to try and change things because I've had these conversations with people. I see the potential that's here. I see these people that are investing in the neighborhoods, that are investing in the city itself. And where they invest, it's growing and it's doing quite well. Um, but there's also kind of that old school way of thinking when it comes to government and and our area and what taxes are, what they go for, and just there's this anti-government kind of like feeling for the most part, which is horrible, you know, because I'm I'm a vet, <laughs> I studied government, uh, I was a Boy Scout, and I just I love my hometown, even though I left as soon as I possibly could, and I left because of the economic situation. You know, it was pretty much you know if you if you want to get a job here, you have to get on at the arsenal or you have to work at John Deere uh, and that was it. Even though in the, in the in the early 1980s it was like oh we have a ton of factories here, we have a lot of small businesses that are here that are doing quite well and then you know as you know they got bought up and they went out and they busted you know because of the um, because the, the dollar. You know what's interesting? People always complain about government and they as if they don't realize that government is malleable. Hmm. Government is constantly changeable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not government. Government is a neutral. It's the people that are utilizing the government that hey, how's it going, Nancy? Uh, <laughs> um, I love it. We're just meeting people. I know, exactly. Like in the middle of the podcast recording. Like I said, it's like, well, you know. Actually, you wouldn't be a conversation with me without coming into somebody and just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Just stopping and talking. I love I know, it. I it. <laughs> um, but it, it's true. It's like government is made up of the people who are in the government. And if you have good people in government, then government is good. If you have bad people in government, then government is bad and corrupt. Oh, yeah. And if you continue to vote in people, 
that are corrupt based upon superficial reasons and a lack of research into what these people actually stand for, then you're going to continue to self-propagate horrible government and horrible usage of tax dollars. And if you actually do some research and find the people that are going to represent you in a more positive fashion, then you're going to have a much better government and a much better feeling about government subsequently. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very true. Uh, oh, and, and for those of you, you can actually mark this later on. You can get past all the relations stuff and the, and the early history of who Andrew Arnold is <laughs> uh, and just come to this point for the most part. If you want to get down to the meat and potatoes of, of, uh, of, of local uh, economic and, and political talk for the most part, because from here on out, it's just going gonna to get thick. Uh-huh. It's going to get thick and meaty. Um, so yeah, that, okay. So I have conversations with folks, and they say, you know, you you follow the laws, but at the same time, like you don't follow the laws. Right. You know, like uh, I'm, everybody does this, right? You go out and you drive, right? And you get on the interstate, and it says 55 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour, and you're clearly not going to do that. You're driving 85, 95 miles an hour, right? And you get pulled over, or somebody that's driving with you is like, "Oh, you can't drive that fast. You know, it's it's, it's too fast. You know, you should you should slow down." Uh, that's the law. You're breaking the law. And I always like to use that example and say, "Well, you know, in Germany, you know, the autobahn is there is no uh, speed limit in most of it. You know, on turns, it'll say you know go 130 clicks. You know, um, because it's a curve. But for the most part, it's it's a road that's a straight shot and if you want to drive 120 miles an hour, you can because you're a responsible individual for the most part. Um, and that's just a law that they agreed upon. And when they changed the uh, the speed limit here, I think it was in the 90s when the, that was the big push for going past 55, uh, every state got to decide where they wanted to change. You know, Montana was like, I think it was like 75 and that was huge. And then around here was like 65 or something like that. And when I talk about changing laws, I'm like, that's what you can do. It comes down to actually showing up and saying, hey, I got an issue. I got a problem. I want this changed. And unfortunately... It's not just a local problem, but it's a national problem where we don't know exactly what to do with our government. Right, right. I mean, when I was campaigning, uh, and actually, I, I campaigned for uh, Board of Supervisors for Scott County when I first moved here a couple of years ago, two years ago, which reminds me, uh, vote in the primary this year if you're a Scott County uh, resident, uh, and the general election will be coming pretty soon, too. Um, and when I ran for uh, Third Ward, uh, the special election in June in Davenport, and then for Alderman at Large this time around, I spent most of my time educating people on government most people were just like um, you know you get in there you get, you, you get in you get out you get your name tell them when to vote and you give them you know your bullet points but for me it was more on the lines of I'm going to use my education and I'll, I'm going to go into areas where people don't normally vote or they vote every you know once every four years or they're registered to vote but they don't vote and I knock on these doors and I spent most of my time going, well, do you know about the Davenport Now program? You know, are you aware of the um, uh, uh, of, of absentee ballots? You know, you don't have to vote on election day. You know, that's just the last day you can vote. Uh, you know, you vote two times a year sometimes. You know, then, you know. Why am I here and asking for your vote now instead of asking for it in November? Well, it's because I'm running in a primary, and this is what a primary is. And I got to speak with a lot of people that went from, I, I hate the government, it does nothing for me, I don't know why I vote, uh, I don't vote for these people anyway. That's the other thing I hate, too, when people just go, well, I didn't vote in November because I didn't like anybody that was on the ballot. And I always like to say, well, the thing is, is there's a primary, and you can always vote for those folks. Or if you don't like it, join yourself. Right. I had that too. You know, why are you running? And I always said, because you're not running. 
which is a snarky, shitty thing to say, but at the same time, it kind of is true. You know, I mean, if you you can sit in your armchair, you can be at the bar, you can you know be around friends and just bitch and moan and whine all day long about the government and and how things aren't aren't aren't, aren't going well, or you can just kind of get up and do it. You can be on Facebook and bitch about things all the time, or you can just get up and do it. Right. So that's that's what I'm. What did What did you learn from running? What have you learned from your political campaigns? What are some of the things that you've learned and that you are you going to run again and would you take with you going forward? Well, I'm definitely running again. That's that's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I would say that what I learned here for the most part is that uh, we're not really that divided. We are. We have a lot of the exact same thoughts and feelings for the most part. Um, we want to take care of one another, um, but it all comes down to how we think we should be taking care of folks. You know, like I, I talked about healthcare a lot. And everyone was just like, "Well, I think you know, it's, I, I think people should be able to pull them up, so pull themselves up by their bootstraps." Which, by the way, uh, I, I always love that phrase. You know, well, th- that term. Is so often, the people that are talking about pulling themselves up by the bootstraps were born with like silver-plated bootstraps. You know, right? But the, but the thing is, if you look at the etymology of that uh, of that uh, phrase. It's actually uh, an exercise in something that is uh, futile. You can't do it. And so the term went from being one of absurdity, you know, oh, I'm going to pull myself by, by my bootstraps. It's impossible. You can't do that. To, yes, this is exactly what we should all do as Americans because we can, we can do that. We, you know, we confused uh, an, uh, uh, an idiom with uh, reality, unfortunately. And I think that's, I think as Americans, we're going to probably change that here, I hope. Uh, after a while, uh, but going back to what you're saying about uh, about what people were thinking, I think for the most part, it's we all want to take care of each other. We're all really stressed out. We don't have enough time or money, and we're just we're we're tired. We're just tired. We're tired of being beaten down. We're tired of things not working in our favor, um, and we just don't know what to do. And we're angry. Um, you know, I, I talked when I was younger. I always talked about uh, why don't we have another revolution? Why don't we have like a, a, an American revolution or a French revolution? I'm shocked this has not happened yet. And you know, I went to school and started reading about oh, there's different phases to actual revolutions. The thing is, is that we've just put up with enough shit at this point, and we're starting to realize that all those things that we thought were important to be self-sustaining, proud people is bullshit. You know, um, we, we're looking at jobs and saying, you know, no, I can't live on $10 an hour. No, I can't live um, with no health care. You know, I can't come into work because I'm sick today, but I'm going to come in anyway because if I don't, I might get fired from this $10 an hour job. But hey, guess what? I'm going to go ahead and get all these other people that are sick as well. Whereas what the smart thing is, is just go home. Don't worry about it. You're going to you're going to work here tomorrow. Take a knee. Go to bed. You'll be fine. And I've been a manager for a very long time, and I used to employ these humanistic kind of things. And my bosses were always upset, you know, that they were like, you know, well, your people aren't doing their full shifts. Or, you know, people come in and only, you know, they, they you have more sick days on your shifts than any other shifts here at the company. You know, why is that? I'm like, well, if you notice, these people work for me. Our, our production numbers are very high. And uh, I don't have anybody that reports back and says I'm a crappy or a shitty boss. You know, it's because I'm, I'm taking care of these people as human beings as best as I possibly can. See, I've always, that's, an, that's the thing that's, you know, often struck me as ridiculous, is that, you know, the myth of 
you've got to put in a lot of hours and you a lot of you know put your nose to the grindstone in order to get things done. There's some of us that don't need to work eight or nine or ten hours a day to get that much stuff done. There's some of us that we can get stuff done a lot faster. And so I think, and I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of people spend a lot of their days just pretending to look busy when they've already gotten the stuff that then they needed to get done because there's this mythology of like, well, you've got to be here from this time to this time. And if, if we just went more on a production-based system as opposed to a the facade of you know having to take up space, then things would be a little different. Well, you have you have to be doing something, right? You're an American. You know, you can't you can't enjoy any of your time off. Um, you know, I've I have several plates right now that are spinning, but like my greatest. Yeah, I mean, it's not as if I'm a slacker. God knows. I mean, people people look can look at me and see all the stuff I'm working on at, at, at any given time. So it's not as if I'm you know lazy ass or something or unambitious. It's just that I know how to um, manage my time well. That's why I get so many things done. Is I don't use more time than is needed on something. And I think all all too often within the business world we don't see that. And people could be more productive, and businesses could be more productive if they unchain themselves from that mythology. Right, and actually, I, I, I always talk about this. Uh, every job's not the same. Right. You know, the mentality of working on a on a, on a warehouse floor is completely different from, say, uh, working in an office. Uh, you know, there's certain times where you need more people to take care of a job, or there's sometimes you don't need as many folks, and you don't you can't adjust for that, or you don't want to adjust for that. It seems like the the old 40-hour work week that, by the way, socialists fought and died for very hard <laughs> very hard for a very long time uh, that's kind of the norm If you, uh, there's there's this um, which by the way uh, for anybody who's listening uh, I don't align myself with any party for the most part I like to believe that uh, we all have ideas that can be added to the uh, to the potluck <laughs> to the party as it were um, but I do see that uh, there is a huge uh, problem in America when it comes to socialism uh, and the confusion of communism and what the difference between that and you know social uh, social nationalism and just it, it, for the most part the way I look at it, it's like this if you're taking care of your people it's socialism if you are redistributing wealth, which, by the way, is not really that bad of a thing for the most part, especially now that we are in an extreme capitalistic society. And by extreme, I'm not talking like, you know, people are making $500,000 a year and we should be taxing those folks. No, I'm talking like, you know, the, the multi-billionaires, you know, the, the, the corporations that are making way too much money on the uh, and not taking care of their folks. Like, I worked at Walmart for a long time. Let's stop there for a second, Andrew. <laughs> $500,000 a year, you know, and that's intriguing to me is you look at that and some, hey, it's not as if we're going to tax people making $500,000 a year. Neither you nor I nor 90% or 90 to 95%, perhaps more of the people listening to this podcast who live in the quad, in and around the Quad Cities have ever made $500,000 a year. That's true. If you cannot survive on $500,000 a year, even if you're taxed, say you're taxed at 40%, so you make a whole, oh, a paltry $300,000 a year. If you cannot survive on $300,000 a year, then perhaps you have some issues that need to be addressed.
just outside of the inequities of the system. You know, and if you're making billions and billions of dollars, like look at the Walton family, which owns Walmart. It's disgusting and grotesque and psychotic that these these people do not pay their employees a livable wage when they have more than enough money to survive on for a hundred lifetimes. That's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. The first video that they show you is an anti-union video. It's not, you know, welcome to Walmart, you're part of the family, this is how your job's going to be. No, the very first uh, video that they showed you uh, was, you know, unions are bad. They're going to take money, more money out of your pocket and you're not going to see anything from them. You know, and if you're seen, you know, talking about in, in a union, you know there might be some trouble like it's just it's 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 sickening now when i said five hundred thousand dollars beforehand actually what i should have said was a hundred thousand dollars a year now that's reasonable i mean a hundred thousand dollars yeah if, especially if you live in a city yeah. that is i mean I, again when you're in the quad cities hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money in the quad cities but you and i have both yeah right you're qc rich if you make 100 g's but in chicago that's you know more middle class that is middle class because everything costs a lot more i mean having grown up around the city you know I, yeah i mean i've lived around cities and stuff and it does you I mean you can pay two thousand dollars a month for rent mm-hmm. and that's not for a gigantic loft right. i mean that's for a reasonable apartment we're also fifteen dollars an hour as right. well though yeah i mean you know it's it's, it's a cost of living adjustment for yeah. the most part but i mean there's 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 great uh there's great papers that are written about happiness you know they say like uh this this came out like, i think it was like five or six years ago where they said you know seventy five thousand dollars is the perfect amount for happiness and the reason why they, they picked that number is because $75,000 a year is, that takes care of your bills. Right. That takes care of where you live, that takes care of your food, that takes care of medical, uh, your insurance, your car, uh, everything you need is at $75,000. And anything after that is just gravy, you know? And um, I, you know, I, <laughs> I actually went to the IRS and, I'm sorry, not IRS, I went to the Social Security um, uh, um, uh, building the other day and I looked at how much money I made between when I was, you know, 14 years old and, and did my first job as a detassler. If you're in the Quad Cities, you're a detass, what's your first job? Uh, <laughs> and then how much money I'm making now. And uh, I've never made more than $32,000 a year in my entire life. Um, and I always thought to myself, and I, and I say this, you know, from time to time, I was like, I don't know what I would do if I, if I made $50,000 a year. I have no idea because I'm, I'm happy with, you know, making, $30,000 a year, you know, but now we're getting to the point now where people aren't even doing that. You know, you, uh, most job interviews that I've seen or even interviewed for, you know, um, you know, it's, it's 10 bucks an hour, it's 12 bucks an hour. Um, you know, we'll give you enough money just to kind of get by for the most part and then no benefits. And it can be very difficult. You know, I know people that are working, you know, two jobs that are less than $10 an hour and they're just, they're having a hard time getting by and these are the people actually I reached out to during my campaign and I talked to them and they're like well I, I can't I can't get time off of work to go vote I don't I can't get time to, 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 to talk to these people or research these people not to mention these people that are running anyway they're all rich and I'm just like well it's not entirely true you know although it tends it tends that most people that have the money tend to win you know I'm lucky enough that after the election I went and I looked at my dollar spent in uh, for the campaign as compared to the votes that came out from it and I was about one to one if you looked at any other camp if you looked at any other uh, uh, person that was running uh, they were spending a lot more per vote and if you want to get down to the nuts and bolts of it um, people are tired people aren't making enough money people are making bad decisions because they are 
tired and frustrated and ignorant. Now, now here's the thing. I really we talked about. I know. We're, I know where you're going here. That we talked about this before we started recording. Right, this, is, this is very important. Actually, before we started recording this thing, we talked for what half an hour, an hour, something like that. Yeah. And we just like, hey, you know, maybe we should hit play, uh, record on this thing, and just knock it out. So, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of the term ignorant. Um, whenever you hear that, now I'm sure the moment you heard me say ignorant, right. you got proud. You were just like, "Well, I'm not an ignorant person." You know, ig- ignorance uh, is not a bad thing. It's had a it's had a very pejorative history. Uh, when you hear the ter- when someone says you're ignorant on something, you immediately, uh, as as we said in Kentucky, you get red real fast. Um, uh, there's a difference between being ignorant and being stupid. Actively being stupid. Right. Uh, being ignorant means that you don't know something through no fault of your own. You know, that you don't know how something works or you may not know uh, uh, a theory behind something. You, you have no clue about it whatsoever. Like, I'm sure that there are people out there that have no idea, um, you know, uh, you know that, that, that you should be, if, if you are, if you're accessorizing your outfit, you know, make sure that your accessories, you know, tend to match in the same color. Uh, or that um, when, you're, when you drive at a certain speed, um, you actually become a little bit safer on a, on a, on a, on a straight stretch as compared to... Uh, a, a curve. Uh, there's a lot of things we're, we're ignorant on. And the problem is, is it comes down to pride, right? Being stupid is learning something new and saying, well, that's, I'm not going to accept that or I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to spend some time on it because it goes against everything else that I've learned for the most part. Um, this is my philosophy degree <laughs> coming out for the most part, um, but uh, it's it's being drugged into the light. If you've if you've ever read uh, the uh, the cave allegory, you know Socrates uh, talks about you know uh, uh, two figures in a cave. Uh, one man, or one figure wakes up and his chains are no he's no longer chained to this cave. Uh, this is a short version of it. He leaves the cave. Uh, his entire life, he's just seen you know flickers of lights on the wall, and that's what he's believed his reality to be. He wakes up one morning, the chains are gone. He leaves the cave and he's blinded by the light, and he gets upset and he gets scared. But he kind of you know sees the outside world for the very first time, and he comes back in to tell his other person to free that person and to show them that there's a there's a there's a world outside of this cave, and it doesn't end very well. Kind of, like, kind of like the Lucifer story in the Bible, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, well, yeah. It's true. No, no, it's it's very true. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not a religious person, but I believe that these allegories that we've learned are very important. You know, right. re- religion is there. It, it was put into place to kind of give us a path to move forward. It didn't matter where, where you lived on this planet. There was a religion that said this is how you should live life. This is the best way to do it. And we've kind of moved forward on that for the most part um, with the Reformation and. And, 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 and the Enlightenment and so on and so forth. But I still think it's, it's there because, you know, you, you really need to know there's certain things you need to take faith on, and that's what religion's there for. But I digress, going back to ignorance. Well, right, that's, what I, that's why I bring up the Lucifer thing is because a lot of the same stories in different cultures bear a lot of similarities. There are, there are a lot of very – the, the stories are very similar. They're just – the details are just changed. Right, the the same story of the snake and the, the apple and everything is, is basically this. It's the it's, same it's moral to, of the story. It's evil to, uh, to question your reality. Right. It's evil to question – uh, the authority, as right. it were, and we kind of still do that, even though we are living more in a in a uh, in a secular world, you know. Um, 
and I have this conversation with, with friends all the time, you know, it comes down to intelligence and what you want to spend your time doing. Do you want to do you want to spend your time on uh, you know learning more and more about your the world around you or do you want distractions? And when you're working all the time and you and you got bills that are coming up and you are and you are survive you're not living you're surviving right. then you tend to look towards um, the distractions. I mean that's why uh, when the recession happened in 2008 right. movie Movies and craft breweries exploded, you know, and they were like, "Wow, that's that's amazing! It's, it's one of these things that you know people are still going to do, even though we thought they wouldn't do it." It's because people are trying to escape for the most part. But I digress, as I normally. But yeah, the craft brewery thing—it's—it's it's kind of—it's a luxury you can afford. Yeah, it, it makes you feel as if you have some small indulgence in your life within the budget that you have, which is constrained. Yeah. And that's the psychology of it. That's the psychology. It's like people are like, oh, these damn millennials and their avocado toast. But the thing is, is when you're poor, then it's the same thing with people, you know, with every once in a while splurging on something. Is when you're poor, you want to feel as if you have some element of escape in regards to that and some control over it. And so you may go outside of your financial safe zone for something that's a an indulgence and i think it's it's really sad that people begrudge people that in the meantime you've got people who are grotesquely wealthy who are peeing in gold toilets and people get pissed off because the lady on food stamps buys a steak i mean it's freaking ridiculous you know why can't human beings maintain some semblance of dignity and feel as if they too deserve something that's a little beyond the substance you know the subsistence level you know what's so wrong with that what's so wrong with people you know feeling as if that they they are special too and if they have some sort of intrinsic worth and value that's beyond their station in life you know what's the, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and i you know it's really sad that people make people put people down yeah. due to that yeah no that's that's true uh it, it's it honestly it comes out in chemistry as dopamine levels mm-hmm. um and that's why I don't begrudge people that have uh, drug addictions. You know, that's one of the things that I learned as well. You know, they always say, you know, poor people are always, they're more prone to drug addiction. Or or if you're uh, an older individual, it is the non-whites that are, that, you know, they, they have drug problems. You know, it's because they're poor. It's like, no, what it is is that they have been oppressed and they're right. upset. And, th- and this, this isn't just for uh, groups. This is for human beings in general. It doesn't matter where you are in this world. You could even be rich, by the way. Well, yeah, it's, you're looking for a means of escape. It's interesting. You look at all the, and this is something that's become an epidemic: is the opioid addiction among the among the elderly. And you look at these people who they've reached a point in their life in which perhaps they're not. They realize, oh wow, I I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. You look at any addiction, and its root is escapism. Mm-hmm. It's trying to escape. People don't become addicted to drugs and overindulge in escapist practices if they're happy in the reality that they live. It's, it's very true. My my mother worked. Uh, at CADS, the Center for Alcohol and Drug Services. And I grew up around people that had addictions, you know. And it, it always shocked me that these folks were good people and they were doing the best that they possibly could. But the problem was is that they're, you know, they may not have had enough, you know, food uh, because of a bad job or they might have lost a job. I mean, let's be honest, it was the 80s, you know. And this area, if, you, if you've been around this area for very long, you know that we used to have a heyday until the late 1970s early 80s when there was a mass exodus, you know, when they were closing down plants left and right. Um, But people get addicted to certain things. It's not just drugs. You know, we have a sugar epidemic. 
we have an opioid epidemic. We have people that are constantly looking for relaxation, right? And when you live in a society where you are constantly working, where you're constantly worried about surviving, your your your, your self worth is wrapped up in your employment, then you're going to have these sorts of problems left and right. If you look at other countries that I don't know have two hour lunches or they have health care issues, where they have health care that's that's subsidized by the government and, and not, not not actually not the government, but by taxes from the people. Right. Then what happens is is that their lives are a lot more uh, happier. They're happier folks. I mean, if you if you if you've ever traveled outside the United States, which by the way, oh, do it if you can do it, or if you invite people from other countries into your life, you know, they'll say that we are very stressed out folks. You know, we're very industrious, but we're also very stressed out. But they are very happier and understanding kind of people because they have time off. They're not constantly worried. They're not surviving. They're living. And the way that we can do that is by taking care of one another and by enacting laws that will ensure that we are taken care of. And I think that that's where we're, we're getting to right now. We're, 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 we're looking at our parents and our grandparents and we're going, yeah, you know, we're no longer going to put labels and we're, gonna, we're no longer going to say, well, that person's that way because, you know, th- that's their lot in life. You know, instead, we're going to hopefully take care of other people. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when we grew up, you know, they said, you're going to go to school. Right. Yeah. Did they ever say you're going to go to school because you're going to get an education or was it you're going to go to school to be social? Right. You know? Well, the thing is, is that we learned how to be social when we had the social network pop up. Right. That's when we had people sharing information, sharing stories, sharing their world. And millennials have kind of stepped up to that. Now, I t- I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a zennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Generation X and millennial type. We grew up, an- we, you know, we, we were born in an analog world, but we, we grew up in a digital world. We adapted. Um, but I talk to folks all the time. They're just like, oh, these damn millennials. I hate millennials. Oh, they're good for nothing with their avocado toast. and, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're Which is ridiculous. It's, you know, why can't people treat... I was going to say, what's wrong with avocado? I got no problem with avocado. Yeah, you know, just because we don't want steak and eggs, you know, for breakfast, right. uh, you know, and, and, and don't be pointing fingers because the Jones generation was all about oatmeal in the mornings right. and muesli and all that stuff. You know, we all change. Uh, every generation is bringing something new to the table. Yeah. And I think that the millennials are really bringing change to the Hey, how's it going? I think the millennials are really bringing change to the table because uh, they have more of a uh, a network, a social network, you know. And, 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 you know, these people are on the Internet all the time and they're reading things and they're figuring out the difference between facts and fiction, you know. And they're, they're actually going to change the world. So whenever I hear somebody that says, you know, oh, I hate millennials, I'm just like, that's fine because they're going to be taking care of you here when you're feeble. Right. Well, you know who's really the, the generation coming up after the millennials. No, the they worst. are the, the worst. No, they're freaking. I, I love these kids. Like, you know, I mean, and I, I, you know, I just Those like. Are the best. I just like people in general. I don't really judge people no, on how no. old. They, I, and I think that's one of the last accept, quote unquote acceptable biases in the world now is ageism. Yeah. Is you know we've gotten to the point where socially evolved people are beyond. 
racism or sexism or you know, you know phobia, not. homophobia. Some people are not. Yeah. I, I said socially evolved, exactly. Andrew. I, I put in that qualifier. Socially evolved people, but I still think that there's a somewhat there's a bias. There's an ageist bias where people look at somebody and whether they're young or they're old, they expect them to behave or be a certain way because of that. And again, just like race or anything or gender or anything like that, when you were born is completely beyond your control. You have no control over it. So why should you be biased against somebody based upon when they, you know, happen to occur on this planet and instead just treat them as a human being and treat them as, you know, because young people can be very wise. Older people can be very ignorant. It really has no dependency upon when you were born. It's what you do with the knowledge that you've accumulated over the time you've been here. And, and it also and it also comes down to where where you live. It's it's a it's a, a geography thing as well. Right. Uh, because I mean, where you're born, where you're born is important too. If you're born in an area where there isn't a lot of cultural diversity, then you don't get to experience that as much. But if you're born in a, a larger area where there is, you grow up being so used to that that it's second nature. To you. Yeah, I mean, when I, okay, so I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. Uh, I'm setting that record straight right now. <laughs> so, but like when I when I left, I thought to myself that every city had a biker culture. I thought that every city had bald eagles that flew over, uh, you know, that flew over in the sky. You know, I I thought that uh, every culture, for the most part, you know, was into the arts and was tolerant of, of people from other um, uh, uh, backgrounds and so on and so forth. But that wasn't the case once I got out. Um, I saw that there was uh, some severe ignorance uh, in certain areas. Um, and then as I got older, I realized something, and, and, and it's something that it's not really talked about a lot, which is if you live in, an, in a small town or you live in a place that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's small for you, you get out, right? Uh, I talk to a lot of folks, a lot of friends of mine in the LGBT community, uh, that the moment that they became an adult or they were younger, they got out. They left their hometown because of persecution, sure. because of because of homophobia, because of just just the word stupid stupidity. Right. They left and they went to cities. They went to larger cities and they found other folks that were going through the exact same thing. And. What this does is, is um, if if you are a uh, an individual that is accepting, that is uh, that 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 has a sense of duty, that is smart, that is different, I challenge those people to actually stay in their hometowns because what they're doing is is that they are uh, ruining their hometowns even more so. Because what happens if you are a different individual, if you uh, read books, if you're a little more cultured, uh, you want to get the hell out of there because there's nobody else. Well, the reason why there's nobody else is because you didn't stay. And those those uh, those communities they don't change. They sometimes get worse for the most part. Uh, and you know there's there's that pejorative thing of you know the rural area as compared to the urban area. And uh, there's a lot of great small you know rural towns that are absolutely wonderful that are made up of people that you know are retired teachers or uh, or people that are just like well I really like the area. There's no one that's living here, so I'm going to try and make a life for myself. You know some people retire and they they buy a farm just because they want to get off the grid, sure. as it were, and then they just kind of, you know, work from there. I think that's one of the reasons why I moved back to my hometown, was because um, I saw people that stayed here that were changing things for the better, that got sick and tired of going, no, it's not a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 
no, this that's not the way we're looking at things nowadays. Actually, I do want my tax dollars to go to this, that, or the other thing. And I want to kind of foster that. I want to grow that. That way we're no longer city folk versus, you know, farm folk, um, where um, we don't divide. Instead, we come together and have a conversation and go, well, what's better for our community? What's better for our hometown? What's better for our neighborhood? And I think that we've gotten so far away from that. And I think that there are some folks that just go, well, we're just, we're too far apart. You know, we're on our, we're on our phones and we're on our computers and we're, you know, we're on our own little bubbles, um, which there's some truth to that. But at the same time, they're also having conversations. It's just not, it's not, just not the conversation you're used to. Right. You know, we, we talked about this, a podcast as compared to radio, mm-hmm. as compared to television. You know, it's, it, we're still having a conversation. We're still talking about things. We're still sharing ideas ideas um it's just a different format you know we're having a conversation in a coffee bar like other people have throughout the united states i mean you what was it they said uh uh you know america was actually founded in a bar in a tavern you know uh that's where people went to have conversations that's where people have you know they, they change things um and we're just now it's no longer just a tavern now it's facebook now it's twitter now it's it's podcasts it's it's things like that we're still sharing ideas but instead of having that idea just you know relegated to your town you know we're picking up conversations that are going on in boston that are going on in uh in boise idaho it's going on in moscow idaho that's going on uh in, in in other parts of the world i you know when people when 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 the uh when the um, um oh is that you or me <laughs> um when the arab spring happened uh-huh. There were some political theorists that were kind of wondering why all of a sudden this kind of popped up. And it wasn't until uh, a short time after they realized, well, it was because of this, you know, people were connected on social network. And they were seeing how the world in other places actually were. And they were sick and tired of it. And they rose up. This happens all the time. And I think that we're kind of at that moment in human history where we're getting tired of the way things have been for so long. You know, I believe that uh, the way that we're making our money and the way that we are living our lives and the way we're treating our people is changing. You know, the first time I talked to you, I talked about how uh, we changed things. We were hunters and gatherers. Right. And then we figured out how to farm. Right. And what happened? We grew cities and we had great thinkers and we changed the course of human history. Um, and I think that's what's going on now. You know, we live in a world of automation. You know, we have to adapt and overcome. And so when you have an easier world to work in, you have to start filling up your time with something else. And we have to switch gears. So instead of, you know, going to a party and saying things like, oh, well, what do you do for a living? You know, we should be saying, you know, so what's your most recent project? What are you working on? You know, if you if if we have enough food on this planet to feed everybody, we actually have enough resources to house everybody. We have enough power if we actually switch over to solar. Not a plug, just how it is. Yeah, it's true. Um, if if we figure out what can be what should be monetized and what should not be monetized, I think that's where things are going to s- switch. But then you go, what's the next thing you're going to do then? What are you going to do with all this time and, and energy? Well, we could relax. 
that would be nice. Right. We could go, oh, what's more important now? You know, is it how much money you make? Which, that's insane, by the way. That, that's, that's how you should be built up, is how much money you make, or how big your house is, or whatever. Um, it should be, you know, what's your reputation? Are you somebody that shows up? Do you have a good idea? You know, uh, are you happy? Are you, are you contributing? And if you're not contributing, hey, that's fine too. You know, live. But at the same time, understand that, you know, we are creatures, you know, that are dealing with a finite, you know, uh, space at this time. You know, and that could be the next thing that we work on. Good segue into QC Solar. Why don't you talk a little bit about your company and describe it and how it can help the Quad Cities, how people can get in touch with you in regard to it, and what are some of the ways in which you see it evolving and helping this area? Okay. Um, so as a kid, um, you know, we, we learned about recycling and solar-powered uh, calculators and things like that for the most part. And, you know, I grew up in – I was born in the 70s, but I grew up in the 80s, and there was a bit of a environmental movement that was going on at the time. And, of course, at the time, it was all hippies and granola-eating, sandal-wearing, free-love type folks uh, that, were, that, were, that were into this kind of thing. But, you know, they were also kind of on to something at the same time, which was um, we have the technology, you know. We, we do, you know. It's, we're able to harness the power of the sun and convert it into energy. Uh, the thing was is no one really put time or energy or effort into that for decades because we got we have industries that are based in oil. I mean, one of the reasons why I got out of the Air Force, honestly, is because I saw it was going over in the Middle East. You know, I can't talk about a lot of things I was doing in the Air Force, but the overall poll was is that I honestly believe that we shouldn't have been there. And if you know anything about history, they were doing fine until we showed up. Are we getting late on time? Because I know I always talk way too much, uh, which is why I like to have conversations and not just a one-shot. There's nothing worse than having a conversation with me and like not talking to me again later on because they, I don't get to expound on ideas that I started off. Like I know these people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, well, you said some pretty ageist and racist things or he's... Or he's I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I, don't I, know, I know you would. I'll have you back on the show, Andrew. Andrew, you'll be a guest on the show again. So... <laughs> so <laughs> in season four. Yeah, this is yeah. season three. We'll yeah. get you back on next season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, th- that's why I like to have a few beers and have actual conversations with people. And, and you should actually, you know, do that with people as well. You know, don't hold them to a soundbite that they sure. might have said, you know. That's the whole reason for this podcast yeah. is so that I, I, the whole idea behind this podcast is I have so many interesting conversations like this with people. And having worked in the media as long as I have and worked for the Dispatch and worked for the Times... It almost made me sad that I had to uh, only use a couple of quotes oh, yeah. because, of, you know, and, and that's just the nature of the beast. The size limitation within print is you can only extrapolate a couple of quotes to go into a story. And I was thinking, geez, I've got this fascinating conversation with these with this person that's all within context and everything, but I can't print it. Yeah. And so once the technology came about to do a podcast, I instantly was drawn to it. And I thought, this is going to be fantastic because, again, people can't complain, so to speak, that, oh, you took me out of context or you just used a soundbite. No, you get to hear the entire conversation. I think that's why this podcast has become so successful is because it's not because of me. It's because of the format. It's because people like completely unedited conversation. They like hearing the whole conversation and hearing the interplay between people, the, the vocal 
intonations, the whole context of a conversation, and so they get the, the you know the real depth that goes into an interview. Yeah, I, I mean, we we talked about this before. Like like I said, we started this podcast an hour before we actually started this podcast. We did. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we talked about how uh, when I ran, um, I talked to the Quad City Times for hours on end, and I got you know a handful of sentences. Which, uh, if I can take it for one moment, ah, God, I hate the Quad City Times. Uh, but, but that's only because uh, uh, they're biased and uh, they're a dying format. And I will say all sorts of horrible things all day long. Uh, but the people that actually work there are great. I think, I think, I think it's it's one of those things where it hasn't adapted, and you've adapted. And uh, like I said, you know, I worked in radio, and I can see that there isn't. Uh, you you have to change. You have to change things. You know, the, the models don't work for 40, 50. 60 years unless they're, you know, they're solid models, unless it's, you know, truth. And uh, we have to change the way we look at things and and change the way we do things. Um, And I think that papers could actually survive and do better, but they can't just be echo chambers and they can't just, you know, regurgitate national news and then have an opinion piece, you know, that doesn't take other people's opinions into account, which is why I like, you know, a show like this. You know, I, I, I was taken out of context a few times, you know, where, you know, they, they, they did, you know, paragraphs on other people and then they gave me a sentence about something that wasn't even relevant. And maybe it's because I went off a tangent. We started this whole thing talking about my company, and now I'm talking about <laughs> about uh, how the Quad City Times can do a lot better. I think they could do a lot. Well, I don't think it's just the Times. I mean, and I'm not saying that because I I work for the Times, but I, I think it's media in general, and it's na- it's the nature of the beast. It just is what it is. Because when you're working at a newspaper, you've got 10, 15 inches to write a story, and you can't have the whole conversation. You've got to you know boil it down to a couple of quotes. When you're working at a TV station or a radio station, which I've worked at channel 8 i've worked at channel 6 i've worked at qpt i've worked at like every radio station in the quad cities and i understand the the format being the way it is is it's not the people involved making those decisions it's upstairs but and it's just the intrinsic nature of the format you can only take a little bit of that conversation which is why i love podcasts because heck you could talk for as long as you want to this is what it is and that's that's the great thing about it so yeah it's just the nature of the beast i mean that's why i was being a little cheeky at the same time right. i mean when i when i, when I said you know i love the people i just don't like the the corporation which is true i mean i i know several folks that uh that that work that have worked for the company that that you know they're just like well i'm glad i'm not there anymore you know i haven't i haven't heard a positive thing from people that 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 have worked there and and walked away uh everyone's got a story and i get that um but we can take care of our people and we can adapt and we can change things i guess it's a bit of a segue back to the right right back to back to the qc solar yeah so, so I saw that you know uh, there's an industry that's you know killing people that are subjugating people to horrible lives, and I saw that I was kind of a part of it, and I just did, I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. You know, uh, I was idealistic, I guess. I kind of believe that you know uh, we should have a, an army, we should have a navy, we should have an air force, we should have all, we should have defenses, but you know. 
we shouldn't be using it as a way to make uh, money or to, you know, overthrow uh, other countries. And so, I mean, if I mean, if you know your American history, you know, uh, the military hasn't been uh, used properly uh, in, in quite some time. You know, for the most part. Now, with that said, and I have to say, this remember Eisenhower's farewell address. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, now I have to say this part because I know that anybody who's listening to this is like, oh, he's not a patriot. Here's the thing: I'm a vet. Okay, I'm a veteran. I am an educated, opinionated veteran. I support anybody that signs up. I have a I have a little cousin that actually just signed up for the army. And I told him, I was like, if you have any questions whatsoever, I'm more than happy to help out. And I said, when you're in, when you're in uh, the Army, these are the things you should take out of it. These are the things that you should experience while you're there. And if you could change things, you know, uh, change things about your life, you know, remember that you are a human being and you have the, you have the ability to, to think and feel and change things on your own. You know, if, if things don't work out for you, you got a contract and, and hopefully you'll, you'll renegotiate at the end of that contract, as it were. Uh, just for me, it just didn't work out very well. Um, I do support our troops, but I'm not a blind patriot. I'm not a blind nationalist, you know. I'm, so I, I do support uh, our troops. I just have a hard time with the decisions that, uh, that are being made by those that are at a higher level. And that's, what, going back to what I was saying, I, I got out because of that. I got out because I saw that, for the most part, we were touting freedom when, in fact, what we were doing is we were actually cleaning up a mess that happened a long time ago when England started throwing down border lines after, after World War One and World War II. <laughs> um, and I just had, I had a, I had a major issue with that. So when I got back, I, 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 like I said, I moved back to the Quad Cities and I'm like, well, what can I do? You know, I don't have a girlfriend anymore. I'm back in the States. I'm a vet. What can I do? And I got my education. I used my GI Bill. And I started to realize that, uh, you know, people were spending way too much money on gas and oil. And, and a lot of the things that we were doing were running on gas and oil. And then I realized that our electricity was actually produced in the exact same way. I lived in Kentucky. That's coal country, son. Uh-huh. Right. You know? Uh, and I saw families that were being for hundreds of years being you know just used by the coal companies meanwhile i'm looking at these beautiful hills and mountaintops and going wow these are being gutted and and, and all the coal's taken away and there's slurry and there are generations that are having neurological and chromosomal damage because of you know uh, of coal and we have to produce energy in a better way and everyone was always talking about wind and solar when i lived in germany oh when I lived in Germany, if you go throughout Europe, there are turbines everywhere. There are solar panels everywhere. There is recycling everywhere. That All that hippie crap, <laughs> you know, actually did work. And it did quite well. And so I started looking at uh, how I could, uh, I could, you know, kind of change things here. Now, it's not, it's not a glamorous, you know, rich life in any way, shape, or form. But it, it is a way that, that helps the environment and will hopefully change things for the most part. What, what my company does is, in this area, I like, I like to stay local as best I possibly can. Uh, in our area, we have a lot of farmers that have inherited their farms and they don't know what to do with them. Or they 
don't want to spend those hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to go from medium to large, or they don't want to dial it back and go from being medium to small again. Um, not to get too dark, but you know, we've had a lot of you know, farmer suicides here in the Midwest. They've increased because they they don't want to get in bed with you know large companies like Monsanto and and such, um, and they don't know exactly how to do the more organic kind of thing. So I get in contact with these farmers and I said, "Do you have any land that you are not using that you're not able to farm that you don't want to?" work with. I said, is there any way that what we can do is we can put solar panels there? And the good thing is, is that if we do that, we can kind of restore the land that's there. There are, there are tax incentives for now, which by the way, you can vote and change those by contacting your, your Iowa, Illinois, uh, your state legislators and your federal legislators and change these things. And, um, the, there's there's these there's these taxes that will protect certain lands, and so we put the solar panels on there. We sign a contract with them, saying we're going to be there for five, eight, twelve, how many years? You know, we talk about that, and that you'll be getting the uh, tax breaks from the government, and you'll be able to repair your land if we put it if we put it in an area where you know the topsoil has eroded. Um, we can turn it back into a prairie if you want to, and but still have the energy that's that's uh, that's produced. And then what we do is is that energy we give the farmers. Um, 30% back. And for the most part, all they have to do is just let us on their property so we can check the check the panels and they just get a check. Now that's in the state of Illinois. The state of Iowa is a little bit different since uh, Iowa is one of five states that actually doesn't pay for energy that's generated. Instead, uh, it says that these uh, uh, energy companies can provide credits which is a whole different thing. So what my company does is we do that with the farmers and then with small business owners, we put uh, solar panels on top of roofs. I, I've never understood why there aren't more solar panels on the top of... Who is... There's... There's all this usable space on the top of buildings. Why the heck aren't there solar panels on literally every freaking building or green spaces on top of every freaking building? It, it, actually, it comes down to money. Of course it does. It comes down to money. But that's the great thing about what my company does. We have uh, people that actually buy the solar panels. Where they buy they buy into a co-op, right? So they'll pay for a solar panel or a, or a solar array, and then we put. But instead of putting them on their house or in their backyard or whatever, um, we put them on uh, the tops of these buildings, uh, or we put them in on, on farmland, right? Uh, we deal mostly with people that uh, rent or lease, because if you're renting an apartment and you want to, you know, uh, be a little bit more environmentally, you know, environmentally conscious, you can't put a can't put a, a solar panel up. You know, you have to talk to your landlord and they might not want to be into it and it's going to cost them money and so on and so forth. So what my company does is is uh, the consumer pays us to buy the solar array and to put it up. We get into a contract with them for so many years, 5, 8, 12 years, and um, we cut them a check every single month or every quarter. It depends on how they want to do it. And uh, for the most part, it just offsets their electric bill. You know, although if you really want to make that money, you go big. You roll that over. Instead of us sending you the check, we put that into we put that into an account that will buy more panels and so on and so forth, and that'll grow. We do have an issue though that not a lot of people are getting on board with that side of it um, because they it's in flux. People aren't they don't exactly know what we what they can do or if they can get back more money they put into it. For the most part, your investment's paid off in about five to six years. You know, and then that's when you start to get a little more more of the money back 
Um, but solar is becoming cheaper, even though we just had that stupid embargo uh, with China. Um, we buy uh, our, our solar panels here uh, in America using American aluminum, American uh, uh, wires. The, I mean, the whole nine yards. They, they are American-made here. Um, the idea, for the most part, is that I want to be out of business in about 20 to 30 years. I don't want to be making a lot of money off this thing. What I want to do is I want to change people's minds. Think about it. 15, 20 years ago, there was the, the Ford EV1. And they killed that thing as soon as they possibly could. It's an electric car. Right, right. And uh, I believe it was uh, six years ago, uh, seven years ago, uh, the president of GM went on the Colbert Report to talk about the Chevy Volt. And he spent the majority of the time talking about the Hummer instead. It's like, yeah, you know, the, the Chevy Volt, is, it's, it's a great electric vehicle, and it gets 40 miles, you know, in town. Um, but it's not as sexy as a Hummer. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Right. Why are you, you're here to plug the Volt, but you're actually talking more about SUVs. And you look at it now, and people that are in the 30s and 40s and 20s are going, yeah, I want to buy a hybrid. You see more hybrids on the road now than at any other time, and electric vehicles are starting For, for those of us who, who have, you know, decent-sized penises and don't need a Hummer, um, <laughs> what, what, you know... But that's also an old way of looking at things, too. Everyone, everyone's talking about, oh, well, you know, it's, it's somebody, you're compensating. If you've got a big truck or you've got a big SUV, <laughs> you're compensating. Actually, it's not what it was. It was actually feeling protected. It wasn't about, you know, I've got a bigger dick than you. It's more along, more along the lines up, and I talked to folks about this. I asked them, you know, uh, you know, why do you have a big, big vehicle? It's like, well, I can, I can bring, I can bring more stuff home from Walmart. Right. I can bring more feed, you know, to to my farm. You can do that with a minivan. Well, not feed. what? Not Give feed. me a okay. That's a pickup truck, Andrew. I'm talking about a Hummer. Why do you need a Hummer? Why does anyone need a military vehicle in this city? It's right. well, you never know. The Russians might invade. You know, I, well, give me a break. No, no. It's true. It has changed. Things things have changed now. I mean, uh, you know, we, we got to the point. It was shortly after that interview where Jim was talking about the Hummer as compared to the Volt. That what happened was is people were just like, wow, I'm paying three, four, five bucks a gallon for gas. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know. And if you if you drive around, you know, the Quad Cities, you know, you won't you'll see a good mix of 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 uh, trucks and cars and minivans and so on and so forth. Um, but you'll also notice that there are more um, hybrids that are out there, right? Yeah. And you're starting to see more electric vehicles. Now, here's the thing. It comes back down to money, right? You we're talking about, you know, dick sizes and, and vehicles, right? Well, now it's kind of happening. With I was just kidding, Andrew. No, I, no, I no, but there's, 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 actu there's actually, a, uh, there's actually a, a, a new thing that's happening, and it's uh, how to show your wealth. If you've noticed, there's a handful of Teslas that are driving around the Quad Cities, right? There's also Tesla charging stations, which, by the way, are great. We need more charging stations, because if you have more charging, if you have the infrastructure there, people are going to uh, have more electric vehicles, right? But right now, the, the you know, that's for Tesla owners, and they're usually in the very rich neighborhoods. They're at the high Vs of the very rich neighborhoods. Uh, but you're not seeing them like in other areas around the Quad Cities. You know, you're not seeing them on the west end of Davenport or in downtown Davenport. You, you're not seeing them uh, in Rock Island. Yeah, on the hilltop. Do we have any? Do we have any chargers up here at the hilltop? Not that I'm aware of. No. But you know what? If someone's going to be ostentatious, I'd prefer they be ostentatious in an ecologically friendly way. No, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, no, I, I completely agree with that as well. Like, you know, I, I may have just been like, 
I may have just said, "Oh, you got money, so you're going to buy a, a Tesla," and you're and you're and, and you're 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 showing how much wealth and power you have. I'm fine with that, right? Right. You know, but if you are, um, and if if you are, you know, you bought the you bought that truck and you've got the double exhaust on it that's putting out more soot. Like that was another thing too a few years back, where there was warrior, there was eco crusaders where they would go out and they would they would get their truck with a bigger exhaust and they would actually shoot out soot as a, as a way to fly in the face of uh, people that were buying more hybrids and electric vehicles. Um, we're killing ourselves and we're doing it out of pride. We're, we're, we're making bad decisions and we're doing it because, well, that's how grandpa did it. That's how grandma did it. That's how America does it. Um, that's the way it's been. We're not adapting. And my company, the reason why I started my company was to adapt and hopefully put myself out of business in 20 and 30 years because I am, my company is one of three that are now in the United States that, well, when we first started off, there's more now. We got Moxie now here in town, which is great. Um, there's more solar companies that are starting to pop up left and right. Um, but mine's more of like a, it's more of a sharing kind of thing, you know, where we try and make sure that people are taken care of on both sides of it. And you're not getting, unfortunately, you're not getting back 100% of, of your investment. Although my company does that too. If you want to have stuff installed that's just yours, we do that as well. But for the most part, we're trying to deal with people that can't really afford solar or they move around a lot or um, or maybe they want to make that long-term investment, you know, where they go, yeah, just keep rolling that over until I have, you know, three acres of solar. Because uh-huh. we, we, we have a couple of people, which I'm not going to name their names, but we have a couple people that actually have acres of solar and they are making good money and they just keep rolling it over. Um, I wish I was making as much money as them, but... <laughs> That's in the future. That's in the future. Um, and you can buy a Tesla, and, you know. <laughs> well, no, so, okay, so someone asked me this the other day. They go, they go, they go. You I'm drive- just giving you shit. No, I'm know, just giving you shit, buddy. I know you are, but that's see, I, 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 I like to, I like humor. I love humor. I like to pull stories from humor at the same time because there's always a story in in humor. So someone was giving me shit the other day. Like, well, why don't you have a Tesla? And I'm like, well, first off, I don't make that kind of money. I said, second of you all, you have a Prius though. Priuses are pretty sweet. Yeah. So okay. So all right. So that's the thing. I said, you know, the best thing that we can do as an environmentalist is don't buy what's brand. I mean, yeah, it's good to buy brand new because that pushes the technology. It shows that people want to actually buy it. But there's also something to be said about buying last year's car. Sure. sure. You know, uh, I'm I'm not Tesla rich. <laughs> Heck, I'm not even McDonald's rich at this point. Uh, but at the same time, I'm taking, you know, I'm, I'm like cl- Jed, Jed Clamp at uh, Jalopy Rich. I'm happy that uh, the people are getting their returns. I'm happy that, uh, uh, that you know, the electricians that we work with, are, they're paid for and such. Uh, I, I'm not looking, I'm not a geek you know, rich, fast kind of person. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, people are taken care of. They uh, they're making the right decisions. That they know that they can actually affect change. Because right. you know, with my company, you can actually see a change. You can physically see a change. People I know that are locked into their uh, their electric company, uh, they're going, yeah, my bill's a lot. It's a lot less than what it was, you know. And I'm like, you know, you can you can get to a point where instead of you know still having to pay half your half your um, electric bill, you know, you'll be getting something back, either credits if you live in Iowa, or actually money from from the Illinois side. Although with my company, we um, we we just give you the money. 
Yeah. Um, so there's we, there's that motivator for people that want money. There's that motivator for people that want to change the uh, environment. There's that motivator for people that want to do something that's new and exciting and tech, even though it's not. This 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 technology is really old. Uh, we've just kind of improved on it over the years. You know. So I don't know. There's, it's a boring company. It's a fun company. Uh, like I said, I, I, I just I, one day I hope that uh, uh, it's free. I, I hope that one day what will happen is is that uh, our governments will go like just just like water, right? Well, they'll they'll invest in it. You know, they'll say well they'll, it'll be, there'll be a municipal solar farm or a wind farm somewhere, depending upon your location. We get 194 days average of sun here in in the Quad Cities, right? But it's windy. You know, so people say, you know, why don't you go with wind instead of solar? And I'm like, well, you need to have both. You know, uh, wind actually costs uh, a little bit more to start up as compared to solar. And you know, I'm not, I don't have a ton of money, and people don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars they can put into a turbine right. and then say, hey, I need to plant this in your field for so long. Um, you know, there's other companies that can do that. Right. Who knows? Maybe one day we will do that. Um, but I think for what we have right now, we can. Solar is a good way to to, to go about it. Um, okay. How can people contact you? Why don't you give out your contact info, your email, whatever contact info you want, so that if people are interested in it, they can contact you. Okay. So we're actually uh, coming up with a, a website now because we are getting a little bit bigger. Uh, we're going to be on Facebook here shortly. For the most part, what we've been doing over the last year and a half is we've actually been reaching out to folks in general. We needed to get a, a bigger base of, uh, of uh, real estate, of property, before we could kind of open it up to more folks right now. Uh, uh, that's what we've been working on. We're going to be opening it up to the consumer side uh, here shortly. Uh, we don't have a we don't have a website yet, uh, but you can go to our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash QC Solar. Gotcha. Okay, you damn dirty hippie. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, yeah let's. <laughs> Let's uh, finish up your avocado toast and let's wrap things up. I know, I know. Just giving you shit. Um, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about before we wrap things up. Let's talk about the QC Pride Festival, which is coming up. Which we were talking about ahead of time. Quadcities.com is going to be one of the sponsors of the Pride Festival this year, and we're very proud to you know have that um, that relationship. Um, this is a really awesome festival, and it's been expanding. I mean, you know, and people are really really enjoying it. So why don't we talk a little bit about that. Tell me about the upcoming festival, what you guys have planned, and um, you know some of the events that are involved. Yeah. After I've just you know alienated a bunch of people with my political views and, uh, and my <laughs> environmental stance, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll talk about the good things. Um, so the, the Quad Cities Unity Pride Parade is something that kind of came out from a uh, march that we did last year in Davenport. Uh, Rich uh, uh, Henricks and Michelle Royal uh, got together after that parade and actually just just a gathering and said you know we should do something bigger uh, we should do a, a parade and they had their first meeting and I showed up to the first meeting and they were like well what can we do can we have a parade what, you know what, what can happen and I said well why not go big why not, why not do a bi-state you know we'll start in, in uh, Davenport we'll start in Iowa and end up over in Illinois since Iowa was the first state to legalize marriage mm-hmm. not not equal marriage marriage Um We'll start over here and we'll, we'll end up in Illinois. So it's kind of like a reverse St. Patrick's Day for the most part. Um, and then it kind of started to take off from there. So we started working on the parade. And then we thought, well, why not 
kind of make an entire week of it because uh, Pride Fe- uh, 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 Street Fest uh, is uh, is a festival that's been happening for the last few years, and it was actually happening uh, at the beginning of June. So we decided we were going to uh, see if we can't make an entire week out of it. So I said, well, I'll contact uh, I'll contact some bars in the downtown area, see if we can do you know uh, we can maybe have some musicians, maybe we can have some art showings, maybe we can showcase exactly the LGBT community here in the Quad Cities. And one thing led into another. So we have a um, uh, we have a movie we're going to be showing with the Putnam. We have a um, a cart race where we actually you have a cart and you're supposed to push or pull a human being uh, to the finish line. We have a pub crawl, a pink, the Pink Squirrel pub crawl. Um, we have a, uh, a wine gala. We have a all-night uh, pre parade party called up all night and then we actually have uh, the uh, the nation's second bi-state uh, pride parade uh, and that'll be on Saturday June 9th um, we're looking for people that um, uh, that want to bring floats we want music we want the best that, uh, that the quad cities has to offer and you can go to our website uh, oh, I completely forgot it's on the top of my head uh, let me pull that up um, you can register. Uh, you can donate. That's the other great thing too. Is that uh, we're actually we actually had a, a handful of great donations from uh, small businesses. We're reaching out to the small businesses to showcase them. Um, we, we want this to be as local as possible. We've also contacted um, the AP. We've contacted you know national news because again this is this, this is the second national. I mean this is this is the second hopefully biggest by state parade ever. New Jersey beat us up by three years. Um, we thought we were the first until we did our research and we're like oh well there with that. Um, but we want to be we're, we're we are definitely the, uh, the longest. Uh, they, they just have a weekend. We're actually having an entire week. Uh, I gotta pull this thing up. I can't find it anyway. <laughs> Actually, what am I doing? It's everything is on Facebook. We were just talking about technology, and I'm actually a, a member of the uh, of the uh, of the group. Let me pull it up if I can. You, know, it's, you, you talk for a bit. You know, <laughs> one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is the fact that. I think, you know, there's there's this perception that society is moving backwards, but I think it's just the opposite. I think that, you know, we are evolving and society is moving forward and becoming more accepting and becoming more enlightened. And I think that we're seeing, like, little pockets that are still holding on to the past and the ways of the past. And they're just becoming more vocal and they're becoming more out in the out in the open, whereas before they were hidden. And so it, it appears to be that things are sliding backwards, but in fact, I think it's just a more vocal uh, last gasp of you know the ways of the past of the repressive ways of the past I think people are yeah and, and you know I think people are becoming more accepting and more open and realizing that human beings are human beings people are just people and it's not as if I mean there are of all races and genders and sexual orientations and some are good people and some are bad people oh, because yeah. they're human beings oh, yeah, and if you just right <laughs> it, you know you're gonna find assholes everywhere you're gonna find good people everywhere and I think it you know it's time long past time that we got past judging people on anything other than the content of their character mm-hmm. and yeah, the outcome yeah. of their actions no, it's, it's, it's very true I mean you know, we all screw up. Actually, that's the other thing too. I love to talk about is that is that we, for some reason here in America, um, and I, I do see it as an American thing. We actually we're not allowed to fail, and if you fail, you're always going to fail. Um, or if you were a criminal, 
you're always going to be that way right we have a huge crime problem uh in in the united states and, it, and i don't mean that as and we have a lot of criminals we have a lot of people that cannot be rehabilitated because people in their neighborhoods or people in, in the world are just like sorry you did time so you're still paying for that time other countries don't do that for the most part um i when i was campaigning i, I helped uh, get a, a few folks their voting rights back or i tried to you know say you can still vote you know there you uh, you, you can actually change your, your, your outcome by showing up and voting. Um, yeah, I, we are, we're, we're human beings. And we do have some generational issues that, we're, that we all work with. We're all flawed human beings trying to do the best we possibly can. I think if we realize that we are doing the best that we possibly can, if we have that basic understanding, then we can just be a better society for the most part. I mean, like I said before, uh, if you live in a bubble and you're, you only talk to the same five or six people and you don't expand your, your knowledge base, your experience, your horizons, you know, you're not going to see anybody else's side to things. You know, you're going to have your, your generalizations because that's how it's always going to be. You know, uh, we're human beings. So we, we, uh, you know, the reason why we're still here, why we're somewhat on the top of the food chain is because we are able to generalize and make decisions based on information that we take in on a daily basis. But I think if you expand that knowledge base and that cultural base and, and you see other people's experiences and you understand other people's experiences, then what happens is you become a better person. And if you can share that with other folks, they become better people as well. We grow as a community through education, understanding, uh, recreation. And I, I, I just have a feeling that we need to embrace that a little bit more. You know, be nice to have a vacation and talk shit over uh, some margaritas. Exactly, exactly. So let's get, what's the website oh, and for sorry, people yeah. who are QC Pride Fest? Yeah, now that i found it, and it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to remember. It's actually qcunitypride.org. That's it, qcunitypride.org. And on there we have a donation button, we have a volunteer button. Um, if you want to donate your time, you want to donate your money, please do. We encourage uh, as many small businesses as possible to to um, to put their money where their mouth is. You know, uh, we have a network of, uh, of of businesses that we are well aware that support the LGBT community, and we've reached out to them. We're like I said, we're a, we're a small organization, but uh, after all the footwork that we've been uh, putting in over the last few months, we are already setting up for next year because this thing's going to be that much fun and that and, and that and, and that big so if you if you feel like you're missing out on this year's qc unity pride parade show up have some fun uh you know enjoy the activities uh get in contact with uh the small businesses that have donated their time and and, and energy um and then next year have an idea uh there's a couple of breweries that we're that we're working with um uh, radical uh, effect is one of them they are uh they're uh coming up with a, a brand new beer for us uh that they will be selling at their brewery for an entire week uh and we'll be receiving some of the proceeds from that which is wonderful uh, great river is also doing the exact same thing as well um and uh, we want to get we want to get more uh, we want to get more businesses to kind of do that kind of thing where they uh, they support the LGBT community. Which that's the other great thing too. I grew up one of the things I grew up with in this area was a lot of acceptance, a lot of acceptance. 
And like I said before, when I moved away, I found that there were some communities that weren't accepting, you know, to the LGBT community, and that it just didn't make any sense um, because I didn't understand their culture. And once I understood their culture, I started to see why they acted that way, and so I tried to help the best that I possibly could. And of course, you know, over time, uh, we've become a lot more accepting on a, on a few things, and that's through community and through education, like I said beforehand. Yeah, I think I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, having grown up in a city, I I'm, feel have always felt comfortable around people of different races and sexual orientations because I've always been around them. I mean. Um, and I've always just seen people as people. And you're, also, uh, you're also a white male, though, too. So you can you have that privilege to do so as well. Um, I mean, that's that's something that I, as also a, a, a white male, a cisgender white male, uh, have to acknowledge as well. I'm 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 on the board. Uh, I'm an advocate. I'm an ally. Uh, and people have asked me that as well. You know, why are you on the why are you on the board? You know, this is not your community. And I go, as a matter of fact, it is my community. Yeah, it's a human community. Yeah, this this is definitely my community. I mean, there is nothing different right. from from this community uh, that I don't see in, in other human beings. If anything, this is just uh, awareness and acceptance of something that is at one time not known. Uh, and it's it's a little bit better known now. You know, we're starting to find out, you know, uh, I mean, I remember a time when it was just, oh, you know, Gay and lesbian. Like, actually, if you look at if you look at the uh, the, the the letters that are associated with the LGBTQ uh, community, and actually, that's 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 an abridged version of it. It's even longer now. But when it first started out, it was the LG uh, community. It was lesbian and gay, and then they added in bi, and then they added in trans, and it just and then they added the Q, which you know that fluctuates a lot as well. Um, it's just interesting how it has evolved uh, over over the years, and it comes down to people reporting on it, people talking about it, you know, not being hidden. You know, there used to be a time where you go, oh, you know, there's your funny uncle, you know, right. and and his roommate. Right. Uh-huh. You know, I remember that as a kid hearing that. Oh, well, not I mean, not not my uncle, but I, mean, I, I heard people say, you know, well, I have an uncle, you know, I have a funny uncle, and I'm like, well, I like hanging out with your uncle. He's a pretty cool guy, you know. Um, but now it's just like, oh, well, yeah, he's clearly gay. That's cool. All right. Is he a nice person, though? He's not an asshole. I hope not. Because, you know, like you said earlier, and it's true, doesn't matter where you go, you're always going to find assholes. Well, right. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like I, I've been around plenty of people who, regardless of their, you know, anything, some of them are cool and some of them are assholes. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, you know, they're human beings. And you shouldn't lump them in. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not for labels, but at the same time, I think some labels are pretty good. You know, asshole seems like a pretty good label. It's, it's, it's an all-encompassing label. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um but um, yeah, I, I I think that I think that I'm not all doom and gloom. Uh, I think that we're doing okay for the most part. I just think that we can always do better. Um, we can always improve. Uh, we always have the opportunity to do so. That's one of the great things about being a part of this existence is experiencing life, getting out and doing things, pushing yourselves, learning brand new stuff. 
I mean, I'm the I'm the I'm the guy that's at a party that's like, if I see food I've never seen before, I'm like, yeah, give me give me some of that. Let me try some of that. Uh, and if I if I you know spit it out, you know, don't feel bad. That's just my experience, you know, for the for the whole thing. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a potluck before in the Midwest, but it's mostly ambrosia and potato salad. Uh, when I go to a potluck, I like to bring um, deviled eggs, but I like you know, I like to bring you know garlic mashed potatoes and vinegar uh, 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 deviled eggs and things like that. You know, try something new, try something exciting. Uh, I'm really big into beer, as you know. Right. You know, I mean, there was a time in America where all you could drink was you know American Pilsner. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Although before that time, you had an array, a beautiful rainbow of, of beers. You know, that just went away for a while. You know, and now. It's starting to come back you know take life as it is you know accept life as it is do something with your life do something uh, with the lives of people that you are surrounded by you know we are only on this planet for a short period of time you know fail good god fail because um, that's the only way you're going to learn something you know trial and error I don't know. We can all be better, and I hope that uh, I hope I'm around to see a lot of the changes I want to actually happen happen. And on that note, I think we shall close because that's an excellent closing yeah. statement, Andrew. So I, I, I can never end things. I, I'm that awkward person that can never end it. Well, so once again, well, I just did. Andrew Arnold, thank you so much for being my guest today. We sat here talking at Cool Beats for about three hours. Uh, Shit, one and a half. Yeah, we have been. We've been here for like three hours. Oh an hour and a half of which has been, more yeah. than an hour and a half has been caught on this podcast. But yeah. it's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Well, I'm coming back next season, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, we always have it. You and Dylan Parker, we always end up like, you know, having I these extended Dylan. conversations. We're like, holy cow, like uh, three hours have passed, you know? Okay, if I can, for one minute, uh, just stroke his ego. Uh, uh, Dylan Parker's a great guy. He is. He's a cool dude. Yeah, when I, when I first started running for public office, he was also running uh, in Rock Island as well, and we sat down and had a great conversation, and I'm like, man, we need more guys like you, and he said the same thing you know, with me, and it's it's amazing. He's a guy that you know worked in a, in, a, in, a, in a garage, and he said, I'm sick and tired of this shit, and he went out and got his signatures and, and was on the ballot, and, and look at him. He's an alderman, and not only is he an alderman, he's crushing it as an alderman, and I believe that uh, we need to get some younger folks that are out there that are going to be living in this area for 20, 30, 40, I'm sorry, for 30, 40, 50 years right. that are out there changing the laws. We need more Dylan Parkers out there. We need more people that uh, know their history that will take action and will do something as compared to, eh, whatever, we'll go ahead and okay these liquor licenses. Right, right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much again for being a guest on QC Uncut, unedited, uncut, uncensored conversation with me, your host, Sean Leary, and area newsmakers and people of interest. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation, and have a great day.